0: So, well, last week, Elon Musk finally took the helm of Twitter. Can you just describe briefly what the first few days were like of him being in charge of Twitter?
1: He was scheduled to close the deal and take over the company on Friday, October 28th. Two days earlier, one of Twitter's executives had sent this email to the whole staff saying, Elon was in the building, come say hi if you see him. He apparently met with some of the company's leaders that day. Then on Thursday, the 27th, he closed the deal a day early and immediately fired the top four executives without a word of explanation to the staff. That's Will
0: Oremus. He writes about tech for The Post.
1: The staff did not hear from him directly for a week after that. Meanwhile, he took to Twitter and started posting dramatic plans for changes to the company while rumors of layoffs swirled. Last week, the layoffs hit.
0: Will says that, according to reports and internal sources, about 50 percent of the company's entire staff has been laid off. That includes at least some of the employees responsible for policing misinformation.
1: And of course, this complete whirlwind is all transpiring right before the U.S. midterm elections. Now, Twitter is not the most popular social network, but it is quite possibly the most influential when it comes to political discourse, and in particular, real-time political discourse and news and information. Twitter is a place where all of the political media are glued on election day as they try to figure out what's going on. You know, where are the voting machines failing? Where are their lines snaking three city blocks so that people may not be able to vote What are the exit polls saying? What are the candidates saying on Election Day? It is a place where misinformation can spread, and it's a place that can affect the public's understanding of events as they're transpiring. It can even affect uh, reactions to events as they're transpiring. So Twitter on Election Day is a big deal.
0: From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Martine Powers. It's Monday, November 7th. Today, how Elon Musk's rapid takeover of Twitter right before the midterms could affect the platform's ability to moderate election misinformation. So for the people who are still at Twitter, what are they thinking now?
1: There are still people at Twitter who are excited to work for Elon Musk. The man's a business legend. He's helmed two of the most successful startups of the century in Tesla and SpaceX. He has grand plans for Twitter. But I have to say, from all my sources inside the company, he has really alienated people with his approach and behavior since he took over the company. His refusal to communicate directly with them, forcing them to follow his Twitter feed and keep refreshing it to find out about their own jobs. Sending a mass layoff email that wasn't even signed. It was just signed from Twitter. Didn't have anyone's name on it. They feel disrespected. They are upset and angry. They feel that he has a lack of respect not only for them as employees, but for the work that they were doing before he came along. He came in and dissolved projects that had been in the works for months and then tweeted that he actually was interested in something similar. So there's a lot of discontent. Some of the people who were laid off uh, in the cuts were obviously devastated. Other people were grateful. They didn't want to work for Musk anyway. And I've even heard from a couple people who were spared the cuts and uh, asked to remain at Twitter who wished that they had been among those laid off to at least get two months' pay and not have to continue working for Musk.
0: So, well, I want to back up for a second here because the last time that I checked in on this, Elon Musk had failed to buy Twitter. They were in court. People were being sued about this failed business deal. But then it seemed to all happen very quickly that he actually did take over the company. So how did all of this unfold in the last few weeks?
1: Right. So as listeners may recall, Musk staged a hostile takeover of Twitter back in the spring. He made a bid to buy the company for billion, which was a premium over what it was worth at the time. But in the months since, the social media advertising industry has just tanked. The bottom has fallen out for companies like Snap and Meta. Meanwhile, Musk is locked into this deal to buy Twitter for what is now believed to be probably more than twice what it would actually be worth on the open market. So he starts trying to get out of the deal. The company sues him to hold him to the deal. They were headed toward an October trial in Delaware Chancery Court, which I was planning to cover. Um, And right before they got to the trial, when Elon Musk was scheduled to go to deposition and have to face questioning from the Twitter lawyers under oath, he said, ah, this is too much trouble. I'm just going to buy the thing anyway. So he bought it for the originally agreed amount, and he came in and took over and has started making rapid changes. And one of the things that he faces now that is partly of his own doing is because he waited so long, because the value has already fallen so much. Um, He faces massive interest payments on the debt that he took on to make this purchase of Twitter. Um, He's going to owe something like a billion dollars a year just in interest payments. Now that's 20% of Twitter's entire revenue for 2021. And so he is under immense pressure to immediately cut costs and boost revenues. And that's why he's moving with such urgency.
0: I'm also curious about his vision for this company. What does he want to do with Twitter? What does he think that this platform can be under his leadership?
1: It's hard to say exactly what his vision is because he's been inconsistent in how he talks about it. And he's changed his mind a lot already in this process. There have been a couple of themes that have been fairly consistent. One is the idea that he wants to make Twitter more of a place for unfettered free speech. He didn't like the fact that Twitter had become more active in trying to police misinformation. Uh, He didn't like the fact that a a conservative parody site called the Babylon Bee, sort of like a a right-leaning version of The Onion, had been suspended from Twitter for a a joke that was, uh, that offended people in the transgender community. He didn't like that they had permanently banned Donald Trump. And so he was going to come and, you know, loosen the reins on the content moderation at Twitter. The other theme that is a little bit more opaque, but that has been there throughout is the idea that he thinks Twitter can be something bigger in the long term than just another social media platform. He feels like it could be sort of the the big social layer for the internet of the future for the world. And so he has talked about this idea for a super app called X, which would be a place where not only can you tweet. But you can message your friends, you can pay businesses for products, you can do pretty much everything.
0: So that seems like a pretty long-term plan. But in the short term, what has he changed so far in addition to laying off half the staff? What are the Twitter policies that have changed?
1: One of the first big changes that Musk announced was he wants to shift the company away from an advertising-dominated business to a business where they get more direct revenue, especially from their heavier users. So he took this experimental product called Twitter Blue, where you pay four or five bucks a month for a smattering of sort of premium features, like the ability to edit your tweets. And he wants to turn that into a big part of what Twitter does. He wants to make it $8 a month, he has decided. And he wants to make it Partly about getting that coveted blue checkmark of verification. So, if you sign up for Twitter Blue now and pay $8 a month, you'll get that checkmark that in the past has symboled somebody who's a notable public figure or an accredited journalist or a celebrity. And so, you'll kind of get that cachet and you'll get protection against impersonators. He's also floated a couple of other product changes. One is the idea of reviving Vine. This was a short video product on Twitter where you could record six-second videos. It actually took off around 2015, 2016. There was a sort of a subculture of people who loved making vines. They were often funny, but Twitter couldn't find a way to make money from it. They shut it down. And then, of course a few years later, TikTok came along and has basically conquered the social media world with a similar idea, although, albeit with longer videos. And then one more thing that I was able to find out from internal sources that he hasn't discussed publicly is that Twitter is looking into a plan for paid videos. So you would post a video on Twitter, and then it would be hidden from everybody else on Twitter unless they pay you a certain amount to see it.
0: I'm curious, who are the people who are surrounding Elon Musk at Twitter right now who are informing his decisions? And, and what do we know about what they want and what they're telling Elon Musk?
1: So immediately after taking over, as we mentioned, Elon Musk fired the top four executives of Twitter. Several other of the top executive ranks have either left or been fired in the days since. In their place, Musk has brought in a handful of his own close friends and business associates. These are venture investors. They tend to be politically active and right-leaning politically. Um, two of them have a podcast where they frequently talk about culture war issues. Um, they have a clear political bent. So Musk has said on several occasions that he thinks that he thinks of himself as a moderate, but in fact, we can see that the people he's bringing in are absolutely people who lean right politically and they're people with a strong political agenda. And so that's the team that's now leading Twitter and it's really a sharp contrast to the previous leadership, which was more of sort of uh, technocrats who had a a more left-leaning bent, I guess, if anything.
0: Well, I want to talk a little bit more about the issue of free speech that you mentioned earlier. I think that has raised a lot of eyebrows for people, especially now as we're going into the midterm elections, because Twitter has had challenges with the spread of misinformation and disinformation, both in the 2016 election, the 2020 election. So are the things that Musk is doing now, are they having an impact on how Twitter is able to deal with misinformation in this election?
1: From the start of his bid for Twitter, Musk has embraced an idea of free speech that has a lot of intuitive appeal, especially if you haven't thought about it too much. The idea that anybody should be able to say anything and the marketplace of ideas will sort it out, right? The answer to bad speech is more speech and that Twitter shouldn't be in the business of deciding what's true or false, uh, what's hateful or offensive and what's not. That's an idea that was really popular in the social media world five to 10 years ago And it basically didn't work. It turns out that the way social media operates with the algorithms that will elevate the sort of most engaging and most outrageous content, actually, if you don't have any rules about what people can say, the worst stuff floats to the top. Uh, It becomes a haven for people who want to spew hate speech. So if Twitter becomes the place where you can say the N-word, guess who's going to come flocking to Twitter? And we, in fact, saw that in the first days after Musk took over. He hadn't even changed any of the rules or the policies, but just the norms, you know, the idea that this was going to be a place for unfettered speech, it drew out the racist trolls who started, you know, bringing the worst that they had. And so it seems like he's starting to realize that having no rules is a recipe for disaster. He has tried to assure advertisers who are understandably skittish about this, that Twitter will not become a free-for-all hellscape. He's started looking into what rules he actually does think they need to keep. And in fact, he's started cracking down harder than the previous Twitter regime in one particular respect, which is impersonation. So after Musk bought the company, a lot of people on Twitter thought it would be funny to change their profile name to Elon Musk, to change their photo to his photo, and then say ridiculous things to make fun of him. He apparently really hated that, and he changed the rules so that now on the first strike, if you're impersonating somebody, you can be permanently banned from Twitter.
0: But to your point, I mean, when we think about free speech, this isn't just about tweets that are offensive to people. This is about tweets that are untrue or spreading information that's false that, as we've seen, has a big impact on our elections. So tell me about what exists at Twitter to help shore up truthfulness in this election and whether any of those plans are kind of being sidelined because Twitter is now missing half of its staff days before this election.
1: To be clear, Twitter has never been the place to go if you only want to read things that are true. It has always been a place that's full of misinformation, conspiracies, hoaxes. And Twitter actually does not have a rule in general against saying something that's not true. It doesn't want to be, it's never wanted to be in the business of policing everything that everybody tweets. However, over the years, it became clear that if Twitter didn't police misinformation to some degree, especially around things like elections or public health emergencies like the COVID 19 pandemic, that the false information could actually have material harmful impacts on the world. We saw in 2016 that Kremlin-linked operatives were able to spread false information and lies about the election, about what liberals and conservatives believed, and they were able to divide Americans uh, against each other and further polarize the country. That kind of thing, Twitter has gradually developed policies to try to rein in. So now whenever there's a big election, Twitter spins up a whole team of people who are are proactively looking for misinformation specifically about things like how to vote, about the credibility of election results, about who won the election. And they will try to remove lies and, and sort of stop conspiracy theories in that area in particular. Musk has been suspicious of those efforts. Now, he has said he won't make any immediate changes to those policies. He was trying to reassure advertisers. He said he's not going to make any major content policy changes until he comes up with a content moderation council. But there are a lot of people now worried with all the staff cuts that Twitter won't be able to enforce those policies in the 2022 midterms. It cut half the staff just four days before the election. And so as we head into election day, a lot of people who think about misinformation and who watch out for the the integrity of election information are very concerned that Twitter will return to being this complete hotbed of lies and conspiracies and misleading info.
0: And I'm curious if you have a couple examples of that, of things that could play out on Election Day or in the days after that Twitter will have less of an ability to control or manage because they're missing all these people.
1: So in 2020, uh, there was sort of a viral campaign to spread the idea that thousands of dead Pennsylvanians had been allowed to vote in the Pennsylvania election. That's the kind of claim that, if true, would cast doubt on the credibility of the results of the election. And so if a lot of people believed that tons of dead Pennsylvanians had been able to vote, then they might think that the—you know, Pennsylvania going for Biden was actually wrong and the result of fraud. They might be so angry about it that they would consider joining a rally at the US Capitol, say, on January 6th. And just to be clear, it, it's actually not true that thousands of dead Pennsylvanians voted in 2020. That was misinformation. These are the kinds of things that if they're not true and circulate widely on Twitter can have a real impact on the election and on the integrity of our democracy. And so those are the kinds of things that Twitter uh, created these, these projects and teams to try to rein in. Those teams have been you know, cut to some degree. We don't know exactly how much Go going into Tuesday's election. Um, another example, this one's a hypothetical, but one thing that, that some people are concerned about this year is there are people who are going to watch the polls. Uh, some of them heavily armed with guns to try to, you know, sort of in their mind, make sure that there's not fraud happening at the polls. Well, let's imagine now that pictures go viral of, armed uh, militia at a given polling station on Twitter, and people who were planning to go into that station are too scared. They're intimidated. They don't go to vote there. It may not even have been true that those people were there, right? What if those pictures were faked? Well, now you've managed to scare maybe thousands of people from going to vote on election day. If that kind of thing goes unchecked, it could actually affect the results of an election.
0: After the break, I talk with Will about whether all this chaos could mean the end of Twitter as we know it. We'll be right back.
1: The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans, and yet,
0: I think these two examples are so stark in making it clear what the stakes are right now for this election. But I'm also curious for the future, especially given that history of Twitter trying to become more of a place that can be a reliable source of information and truthful information around elections. I mean, if more of these changes by Elon Musk are put into place uh, further into the future, what does that mean for Twitter's role in elections or you know, whether it's a place that will return to more of that um, kind of free-for-all, some of this might be true, some of this definitely isn't true, for, for that kind of landscape.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think one good lens for this is the so-called big lie, the, the Donald Trump's idea that the 2020 presidential election was stolen from him via fraud. Now, there's no evidence of widespread fraud, certainly not on a scale that could have tilted an election that went very clearly for Joe Biden. Yet, many in the Republican party have since embraced this idea. Now, social media platforms, Twitter in particular, has said that that is not okay on Twitter. You cannot say that the 2020 election is stolen because it's not true, it's election misinformation. Elon Musk is looking to transform Twitter into a place where that kind of big lie could flourish. And so Twitter could actually really become a tool for Republicans, a pl- another place where it is okay to claim that the election was stolen and to try to fire up people to, uh, to rally or even potentially to violence to try to overturn the results of Democratic elections.
0: Will, I want to talk a little more about Twitter's potential for future. I know that when we've discussed this in the past, it's important to point out that Twitter is actually pretty small as a platform when you compare it to something like Facebook or TikTok in terms of the number of users. And um, I think that it is fairly criticized as, like, the thing that only journalists and politicians and celebrities use, that real people aren't on Twitter. Um, But at the same time, it is hugely influential. Um, So when it comes to advertisers and also users looking at everything that's changing, seeing what looks like the start of a death spiral, I mean, are people really considering abandoning Twitter altogether?
1: Well, some people are absolutely abandoning Twitter. A lot of people, especially on the left, I should be clear, there are still people on the right who are really excited about Musk's takeover of Twitter. There are probably people in the middle who are still really excited about Musk's takeover of Twitter. I mean, this is a man who still enjoys general approval among the population based on the work he's done at his other companies. So I don't think we're seeing a mass exodus on Twitter so far. However, certainly people on the left are looking for alternatives. They are worried about what Twitter is going to become. Advertisers are already pulling back. And so there is a real chance that Twitter's business could go downhill, even as some people remain excited about it. Mastodon is a site that is open source. You can set up your own instance of Mastodon if you have a little bit of technical chops. Um, And so it can't be controlled. It was designed to not be able to be controlled by one person like Elon Musk. So we see that gaining tons of traction. I mean, this was was a tiny site two weeks ago that has uh, multiplied in size uh, with people going there and setting up accounts because they're worried about Twitter this happened, by the way, uh, with people on the right previously before Musk took over. People were, on the right were fleeing Twitter for Truth Social and Rumble and Parler and these sort of, these sort of right-wing alternatives. So we're now seeing that happening on the left as well. It is true, and it's worth keeping in mind, that Twitter was not one of the biggest social networks. I mean, most ordinary users use social networking to keep in touch with their friends, or they use LinkedIn to find jobs or to connect with colleagues. They use TikTok to veg out, you know, at night and watch videos and and be entertained. Twitter was not the best at any of those things. It was really a place that's most valuable for people who have a public audience. Now, that's not just politicians and journalists and celebrities, it's also kind of the thought leaders in any field, right? I mean, if you're in the world of marine biology, if you're in the world of sports, gaming, there are people in any given field who are on Twitter arguing about the day's news. I mean, it's kind of the water cooler for all these different walks of life. So it is extremely influential because the people who shape public opinion about a given field or shape the consensus about what the state of knowledge is in any given field are on Twitter every day and addicted to it but yes, the vast majority of people are not and don't necessarily need to care for their own purposes, but they might still care because Twitter shapes the media and the information that filters down to them in other ways.
0: You know, I think a lot of people are asking right now, like, why did this have to happen now? Yes, Elon Musk wanted to take over Twitter, but this is right before the election. Couldn't he have waited until after to start you know changing all the things that he wanted to change. So what why like why do you think that is? Why do you think that this is happening now?
1: So having followed Musk over a number of years, um as it became clear that he increasingly likely that he would follow through with the deal and buy the company. I pitched my editors on a story a few weeks ago about how this could impact the midterms. And it was funny because most people's reaction to that was, well, he wouldn't really do anything before the midterms, right? I mean, he'll, he'll be taking it over only like 10 days before. He couldn't possibly make any changes. Surely he'll be in wait and see mode for a while. And it just, you know, the, the concern was that it would feel too speculative, the idea that Musk might do anything significant before the midterms. But Musk is an incredibly impetuous person. He's under a ton of financial pressure. To be honest, I don't think he really cares if he impacts the midterms one way or another. I mean, I think the midterm, are not top of mind for him. And to the extent that he does think about them, I think his biggest concern is for Twitter to not be in the role of policing political speech. And so if it's more of a free-for-all and more of a mess and more misinformation, I I think as far as he's concerned, that's a secondary issue compared to the needed changes he feels he needs to make immediately to turn around the company's business and cash
0: flow. Well, I want to ask you a question that I want a yes or no answer to. No equivocating. In your opinion, do you think that Twitter will exist one year from now?
1: I have set a rule for myself of not predicting what Elon Musk is going to do because the man is just so... Unpredictable. I mean, I think Twitter has enough momentum that it's going to be hard to kill in a year. Now, look, I'm not going to entirely rule out the possibility that somehow Musk pulls a rabbit out of a hat here and turns around Twitter. And in a few years, it's just as strong as ever. I think that's looking increasingly unlikely based on the sort of reckless way that he's running it so far and the many, many fairly obvious missteps uh, that he's committed in just a week or two, but it's a possibility. I think it's far more likely that Twitter will be worse off in a year than it is today. I mean, certainly it's worse off in many ways now than it was when Musk tried to buy it. I don't think it's gonna go away though. I mean, these social platforms have a lot of inertia. There are a lot of people who have invested years and, you know, more hours of their life than they would ever admit trying to build up a following on Twitter. You know, they're not going to give that up easily. You're going to have to pry that out of their hands. Um, so I think Twitter would really have to tank in order for most people to give it up within a year.
0: Well, thank you so much. This was fascinating. Thanks, Martín. Will Oremus is a tech reporter for The Post. And since we talked, there are even more concerns being raised about how Elon Musk and Twitter might influence the midterms. Earlier on Monday, Musk tweeted about the election. He encouraged his followers to vote for Republicans in congressional races. Because, as he says, shared power curbs the worst excesses of both parties. Then he pinned the tweet at the top of his profile. This is a huge departure for leaders of social media companies who typically steer clear of political advocacy. And it's probably just going to intensify the partisan divide over his takeover of Twitter. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's episode was produced by Arjun Singh. It was mixed by Renny Svernovsky, and it was edited by Lucy Perkins. I'm Martine Powers. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post.